when I was part of museum groups and a lot of the members, you know, were mature, you know, and, and, and they had their moment where they had the fire in their belly. And, and as folks get older, it's like, all right, I want to go do something else. You know, I want to go chill on the beach or I want to downsize. Right. So how do you create, you know, a cycle where you're constantly bringing in fresh um, blood that can learn, you know, and then, you know, when the elders and the stewards are ready to hand over the reins, they have the experience and the insight and they're able to kind of push it forward, you know? So for me, it's, it's, as part of the DNA. Um, and uh, it allows me to know when to have a refusal of like kind of status quo, but then know when to be like, okay, how can I be a better collaborator to make this thing in general bigger, right? Um, and also, you know, knowing when it's not about you, right? It's not, it's not, it's, it's about the artists, right? It's about the community. And I think, that's a key thing, like being, you know, a leader of an organization, you, you got to learn how to lead, right? And it goes back to my, my Jokic analogy. You got to make everybody better, right? Because when you make everybody better, they feel empowered. And then the whole, the whole entity kind of grows and evolves. Larry, I think we can um, listen to you all day long. And that's the, <laughs> that's the pleasures and joys of having this conversation yeah. um, today. So thank you. Thank you, Thank Rory. you for bringing this exhibition to the Denver Museum. Thank you for collaborating. And thank, thank you, you everyone, for, for joining us. Thank you, Denver, Denver Art Museum. Thank you, Marco. Social Security is with you through life's journey from birth to retirement. As your life changes year to year, so do your needs. For over 80 years, Social Security has helped to meet your needs and is committed to improving access to the services that make a difference in your life. Today, you can verify your earnings, estimate your future benefits, apply for retirement, manage your benefits, and even change your address, all from the comfort of your home. Social Security's online services help put you in control with secure access to your information anytime anywhere, allowing you to spend more time with family, friends, or simply just enjoying the day. Social Security, securing today and tomorrow. See what you can do online at socialsecurity.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. We had an incident over off of Alameda and Ivy. And for the first time in probably since 1950s, we had four black firefighters on the truck. This guy was having some kind of medical emergency and we walk in the house and his wife, who was so nervous she didn't know what to do, and she came up to me and she said, sir, are you boys really from the fire department? She was so afraid of having black firefighters in her house. And we had a $500,000 truck outside. She called us. We had uniforms on or our bunking gear. And she was still afraid that we had probably stole this truck and came in to harm her husband. But that fear was in her. And that kind of fear, you know, you, 
I think about that now, and it always tells me, um, you know, the the fear of the black male. It's 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 real. It's definitely real. I made assistant chief and um, went to an emergency downtown. All of these trucks come in, and the assistant chief usually stands outside, and you coordinate the firefighting efforts. And so I have on a white shirt, the assistant chiefs wear white shirts and white hat, and some guy comes out of the hotel and runs up to me and says, can you grab those other two bags? I'm late for my flight. And I thought to myself, and I got angry too, I said, I'm here on an emergency. And then I thought to myself, he doesn't see me, he sees black. Tenth Street, which is now a part of the Auraria campus. So my entire community is gone. The majority of that community was Mexican American. And now when you walk through the campus, there is a fountain on Ninth Street, and that's where my uncle's home was. The place that is important to me is the Crusade for Justice which was located on 16th and Downey. The uh, Crusade for Justice was a uh, four-story building. It was an old church, and it served its purpose of being the center of the Chicano movement. The building that it was in is uh, gone. It's been gone for, gee, I don't know, 15, 20 years. But the movement that the Crusade started uh, is not gone, it's not over. Best memories on the north side of Colfax was um, just a lot of family, kind of like the, the movie Rent. We just played with each other, all different cultures. We didn't experience the racism like it is today. It was you were poor, you lived next to each other, you played with each other. You fought with each other and then you also backed each other up. That was, that was our life. And a place that endeavor that's important to my cultural history um, would be West Denver. Both of my parents were born and raised in West Denver, and they actually met as teenagers in the Lincoln Projects. Our area campus, uh, very important because of the churches and the history that's connected to my family. I also graduated college there, which is really cool to be part of the Historian Scholarship. Ninth Street on the Aurora campus is a very special place to me because that's where I grew up, where I used to play with Ninth Streeters, we used to call ourselves. We went down the street to the playground at St. Cajetan's, or we had St. Elizabeth's to play in. St. Elizabeth was across the street from us. We'd go over there when school was out and play on the playground. Uh, as an adult, I went back to school and continued at Metro. I would always walk by the fountain on 9th Street. Fortunately, 9th Street is still standing and it's become a historical park. 
for all of us who were displaced from that community in the 1970s to build a campus. And if it wasn't there, we wouldn't have a, a concept, a place, a feeling where we could go back to enjoy and enjoy each other's communities and remember all, all of our families. And so I've always had a really clear sense of who I am and the struggle of my parents and what they endured growing up in um, government housing. A lot of things uh, that have happened in Denver for Chicanos is because of the Crusade for Justice. So although the building is not here, that doesn't mean that uh, what the Crusade for Justice stood for, uh, social justice for Chicanos, uh, still exists. We've made some uh, definite uh, strides, but we still have a long way to go in, in helping the Chicano and the Latino community reach its full potential. And so even though we're, it's not around, it is around. It's in the hearts of many people. I'm Jesse Witten, a local radio DJ, live music promoter, and overall Colorado music scene cheerleader, and your host of Mile High Mixtape, a music video series that brings you a look and listen to some of our community's biggest musical talents. Mile High Mixtape, only on Denver 8 TV. I love you, Denver. Thank you once again for the privilege of serving you. We dream, serve, and deliver Denver as America's best city. Now, let's get to work. City Council begins now.
for joining us. And first off, Happy New Year. Um, I'm Council President Pro Tem Sandoval. <clears throat> Our president is out. Lots of members are out sick right now. <clears throat> so if you'll bear with me, this is the first time having to chair. So let's send President Torres and any of our colleagues who are not who are out ill right now um, well wishes and happy new year. Tonight's meeting is being <clears throat> interpreted into Spanish. Sam and Vira, would you please introduce yourself and let our viewers know how to enable translation on their devices? Yes, thank you very much. Happy New Year. Thank you for having us. Hello, everyone. My name is Sam Guzman with the CLC, and along with my colleague Vidya, we will be interpreting today's meeting into Spanish. I will now give the instructions in Spanish on how to access interpretation. Buenas tardes a todos. Mi nombre es Samuel Guzman con la CLC, y juntamente con mi colega Vidya estaremos interpretando la reunión de hoy al español. Si desea escuchar la reunión en español, simplemente vaya al icono de globo en su pantalla que dice interpretación y de ahí seleccione el, uh, la opción de escuchar en español. Muchas gracias and thank you very much. Council President, or thank you. Sorry. Welcome to Denver City Council meeting of Monday, January 2nd, 2024. Council members, please rise as you are able and join Council Member Romero Campbell in the Pledge of Allegiance. Thank you. Council members, please join <clears throat> Council Member Romero Campbell as they lead us in the Denver City Council land acknowledgement. There we go. Uh, the Denver City Council honors and acknowledges that the land on which we reside is the traditional territory of the Ute, Cheyenne, and Arapaho peoples. We also recognize the 48 contemporary tribal nations that are historically tied to the lands that make up the state of Colorado. We honor elders past, present, and future, and those who have stewarded this land throughout generations. We also recognize that government, academic, and cultural institutions were founded upon and continue to enact exclusions and erasures of indigenous peoples. May this acknowledgement demonstrate a commitment to working to dismantle ongoing legacies of oppression and inequities and recognize the current and future contributions of indigenous communities in Denver. Madam Secretary, roll call. Cashman. Here. Alvidrez? Here. Flynn? Here. Gilmore? Gonzalez Gutierrez? Here. Hines? Here. Lewis? Present. Parody? Here. Romero Campbell? Here. Sawyer? Here. Watson? Council President Torres? Council President Pro Tem Sandoval? Here. Ten members present. There are ten members present. 
council has a quorum. <clears throat> Approval of the minutes. Are there any corrections to the minutes of December 18th? Seeing none, the minutes stand approved. Council announcements. Are there any council announcements? Councilwoman Sawyer. Thanks, Madam President Pro Tem. Um, Happy New Year, everyone. I just wanted to remind the residents of District 5 that we will be hosting District 5 Projects Night, um, which is going to be on January 30th. That's a Tuesday from 530 to 730 p.m. at um, George Washington High School. And it's a great opportunity for community members to come connect directly with city agencies um, and find out more about all of the different projects that are happening in District 5. We know People all the time are asking us, why is this street closed or what's happening here? Um, so this is a great way to connect a community with city agencies and resources to talk through some of the things that are coming in 2024. So please join us and you can find out more information um, on our social media sites. Thanks so much. Thank you. Councilman Alvidrez. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to share that I'm really excited that the stock show starts this week. And that means the parade will be on Jan Thursday, January 4th, starting at Union Station. Um, so look, yeehaw, Denver. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. See no other <clears throat> announcements. There are no presentations. There are no communications. There is one proclamation being read this afternoon. Councilman Sawyer, will you please read Proclamation 23-2019? Absolutely. Proclamation 23-2019, recognizing National Blood Donor Month. Whereas January is recognized as National Blood Donor Month, currently all blood types are needed, and this includes volunteer, the need for volunteer blood, plasma, and platen do donations. And whereas type O negative blood is the universal donor blood type and subsequently is the most sought after for donations, approximately 29,000 units of red blood cells are needed every day in the United States. And whereas by talent, the nation's largest independent nonprofit blood services is exclusively focused on providing life-saving blood and comprehensive transfusions for about 900 hospitals and patients across the United States. And whereas by talent has approximately 115 donation centers nationwide. And whereas my office has partnered with my talent to host a blood drive during the month of January. And whereas Donating blood can have a significant impact on the lives of hospital patients within your community and nationwide. It is highly encouraged to donate blood in the month of January. Now, therefore, be it Hi guys, I'm right on top of things today. Now, therefore, be it proclaimed by the Council of the City and County of Denver, section one, that the Council of the City and County of Denver recognizes January as National Blood Donor Month. And section two, that the clerk of the city and county of Denver shall affix the seal of the city and county of Denver to this proclamation and a copy will be transmitted to by talent. <clears throat> thank you. Oops, sorry, I lost my, um, thank you, Councilman Sawyer. Your motion to adopt. All right, hold on a second. There we go. I move that proclamation 23-2019 be adopted. It has been adopted. It has been moved and seconded. Comments by members of council. Councilman Sawyer. Thanks, Madam President Pro Tem. Um, I'm thrilled to be bringing forth this proclamation in partnership with Vitalent. 
the work that they do um, within our community is extremely important and I'm beyond excited to partner with them again for this fourth year um, to host a month long blood drive in January. We're lucky to have the Colorado headquarters right in our own backyard at Lowry Great, Great Lawn. Um, so please join us this month and be a volunteer to, blow to, to donate blood. For anyone that would like more information to sign up, please visit bit.ly slash SE Denver, Southeast Denver gives blood 24, um, or reach out to my office and we'll help you get connected to them to set up an appointment. Um, we really appreciate you helping to uh, make a difference in our community. And um, just gonna welcome Brooke Way after we vote, thanks. Thank you, Councilman Sawyer, and thank you for bringing forward such an important proclamation to Denver. Um, Madam Secretary, roll call. Cashman. Aye. Alvitras. Aye. Flynn. Aye. Gonzalez Gutierrez. Aye. Heinz. Aye. Lewis. Aye. Parody. Aye. Romero Campbell. Aye. Sawyer. Aye. Council President Pro Tem San Sandoval. Aye. <clears throat> Madam, Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. 10 ayes. 10 ayes. Proclamation 2019 has been adopted. We'll start the five, we have five minutes for the proclamation acceptance and we'll start the timer to accept the proclamation and Councilman Sawyer, who would you like to invite up? Great, I wanna welcome Brooke Way from Vitalent to join us. Thanks for coming today, Brooke. Yes, thank you so much for having us. Um, we are so excited to yet again have a blood drive with District 5 and Councilwoman Sawyer. We're grateful because this is the fourth year she's been doing this. She's such a supporter in the community. And it's because of people like her, coordinators like her, that patients get these life-saving transfusions. Uh, January is really important for reminding people that patients need blood, especially after the holidays, where they tend to drop to their lowest point throughout the whole year. Uh, so I encourage all of you to sign up to give blood and then spread the word in your own districts as well to help give blood uh, this season. So thank you again and thank you for having us each year and uh, doing this really exciting blood drive. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. Madam Secretary, please read the bills for introduction. From the Finance and Governance Committee 23-1941, a bill for an ordinance amending ordinance number 1287, series of 2021 concerning the medical self-insurance internal service fund. From the Land Use, Transportation and Infrastructure Committee 23-1850, a bill for an ordinance changing the zoning classification for 3051 Lawrence Street and Five Points. 23-1920, a bill for an ordinance relinquishing an easement in its entirety established in the easement agreement recorded with the Denver's clerk and recorder at reception number 20071317798, located at 8890 East Lowry Boulevard. From the Safety, Housing, Education, and Homelessness Committee, 23-1882, a bill for an ordinance approving a proposed third amendatory agreement between the City and County of Denver and State of Colorado Department of Human Services Division of Youth Services to perform detention screening and pretrial services for youth citywide. 23-1921, a bill for an ordinance amending ordinance number 20181502, series of 2019, as amended by ordinance number 20201231, series of 2020. 
One, authorizing the appointment of the Money Source Incorporated as an additional servicer under the Metro DPA program, and two, authorizing the execution of all additional program documents to add the Money Source Incorporated as an additional servicer. Council members, this is your last opportunity to call an item out. Council, Council member Romero Campbell, will you make the motion for us this evening? Yes, Council President Pro Tem Sandoval. Now I will do a recap. Under resolutions, Council member Lewis has called out 1887 for a vote, 1899 for a vote, 1946 for questions and comments, 1945 for questions and comments, 1926 for questions and comments. And council member Parity has also called out 1887 for a vote. Under bills for introduction, no items have been called out. Under bills for final consideration, no items have been called out. Under pending, no items have been called out. Madam Secretary, please put the first item on our screens. Council member Romero Campbell, will you please put resolution 1887 on the floor for adoption? I move that council resolution 23-1887 be adopted. It has been moved and seconded. Comments by members of council. Council member Lewis. Um, thank you, Madam Pro Tem. I just had a few questions of, uh, about this contract in particular. Um, I wasn't quite sure what the priority was here um, in terms of the long-term viability for um, downtown. It looks like a great deal of the dollars um, are being used um, more for marketing and branding. Um, and so I wanted to know more about the adaptive reuse and what that long-term plan is for um, the adaptive reuse specifically. Thank you. Thank you. And will you please just introduce yourself for the record? Thank you. Good afternoon, members of council. My name is Deborah Cameron and I serve as Chief Business Development Officer at Denver Economic Development and Opportunity. I think, you know, the easiest way to think about this contract that we're bringing forward for your consideration tonight is, is around the reopening of 16th Street Mall. Um, we know that the, the, the 16th Street area has been under construction for some time in 2024 and then continuing into 2025, we'll be reopening um, 16th Street and we only get really one opportunity to do that. And so these funds will be focused on, um, you know, a, working to attract businesses back to 16th Street. They'll be working on developing a brand to attract people back down to 16th Street and activities like making sure that the, the mall ride, our, our garbage disposal areas and other things on the mall um, represent the new 16th Street as well as some of the kiosks that will even be on 16th Street. We want them to have a refreshed and, and open and nice look the same way that after we've invested all this money in the actual infrastructure of 16th Street itself, we need to make a big deal. We only get one opportunity to do this right, and these funds will be supporting that opportunity. Thank you. Um, a few more. Uh, can you can you talk to us a bit about how the dollars are actually broken down, like for each of the different categories, from the branding to the dollars that are going to support businesses, yes. et cetera? Happy to give you that breakdown, Thank Councilwoman. You. Look over to my notes. So um, related to the um, visioning and ground floor activation, um, that bucket will represent $200,000.
the branding, positioning, and marketing of 16th Street. That bucket is around 275,000. The third bucket, which is business recruitment and retention, is $134,090. And then there is a bucket around public realm activation and the experience itself. That's $300,000. And then there is an administrative bucket as well. And that amount is a little over $90,000. I have two quick questions, I, I promise. Yeah, the ahead. first one is around um, how you all came to determine what the budget allocations would be, specifically around the um, business retention. It seems like the lowest amount is actually dedicated to the businesses, but the goal is to revitalize downtown and we can do so through small businesses and kind of wanted to talk to that logic a bit. Yeah, well, we really rely on our contractor. Um, and in this instance, we're um, partnering with the Downtown Denver Partnership. And so this was a proposal put forth from them. Okay. And that really is around the ground floor strategy. Uh -huh. So it's not necessarily working with the businesses themselves. It's, it's as we work to transition the central business district from primarily being an office environment to more of an urban neighborhood environment where we have more people actually living downtown rather than just working downtown will require a different mix of, of business types. So this is developing the strategy of what that looks like. So it could include markets, grocery stores, childcare centers, developing a strategy around attracting those kinds of businesses. Got it, that's helpful. And then my final question, um, there was an additional 150,000 in ARPA rollover. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. um, and so can that be used for any of the above areas that you just outlined? Yes. Okay. Yes. And then under what circumstances? So um, we do have a current contract with now with ARPA $1 with DDP and this 100 and 150, 150,000 is anticipated to be unspent. So we are including it in this. And then as we um, execute the contract, we'll decide how those dollars across which of those buckets other than administration will be used for. And if the money isn't spent? Then if, it, it's, if it remains unspent. If it remains unspent, then it, the city just, it comes back to the city at okay. the end of the contract. Okay, thank you. All right, thank you. Thank you. Next up, we have Councilman Parity. Yes, hi. Um, so the thank you, first of all, for um, for being here and for all of the additional briefings and presentations on this contract. Um, I think the question I have for tonight is basically how much of the um, of the money that was allocated towards business recovery out of our um, two rounds of ARPA funding, how much of that went towards downtown as compared to the rest of the city? Um, I think we provided some information on that to you um, this afternoon, um, Councilwoman Parity, and I don't have the numbers off the top of my head. But so far, we have um, expended over $5 million in business support grants through the ARPA dollars themselves. Um, I would have to see if my colleagues have the exact numbers of, of those grant dollars that went to downtown businesses. But, um, you know, I don't think it was, I don't think it was a, a very large amount um, because we were very intentional in trying to make sure those dollars were distributed into all areas of the city. Okay. Um, and I think, I mean, I, um, I want to sort of make a public record of this. Um, what I have, um, what I have from, from Patrick familiar today is that 
um, there have been, th this would bring it to a total of about five and a half million to downtown um, out of 17 million for all forms of business support. And most of those went to individual businesses um, with downtown being pretty different in that quite a bit of money was spent sort of through DDP or um, for, for downtown kind of as a whole um, as a business district. So um, understanding that it is where, you know, a lot of city business happens and that we have a lot of sales tax revenue from downtown, um, I think we've already invested pretty heavily. Um, and, and I just, I mean, I've expressed my, I've expressed my skepticism. I can save that for, for comments. Um, I don't think I have, I guess the only other question is, um, I just want to make sure that I'm correct that this ARPA funding is in the recovery category, which is pretty broad, right? Is that is. your understanding? It is. Yeah. It falls into the economic <coughs> recovery category. So it includes economic damage to households, businesses, nonprofits, and the public sector from COVID. Yes. So we could be deploying the funds in a lot of different ways. Yes. Okay. That's it. Thank you. All right, thank you. Thank you. Next up, we have Councilman Hine. Uh, thank you, President Bertinum. Uh, downtown is Denver's secret sauce. Sorry, I'm apparently being not so secret with the secret sauce, but uh, downtown is the center of our business, our tourism, our culture, our um, uh, commerce, or our, our government, and transportation for the entire state. Uh, so uh, our forefathers, the elected officials who sat here on this dais, and our elected mayors uh, in, in the past have been very strategic about making sure that the city of Denver is a has a strong city center. That is our secret sauce. We have all four major sports teams downtown. We have the convention center downtown. Um, 1982, I don't know if everyone can remember where they were. Um, I think that might've been the year the space shuttle exploded. Um, Cause I'm trying to remember, I was in elementary school. A lot of people don't remember where they were because they were not alive then, but, um, uh, but 1982 was a different time. And that was the year the 16th Street Mall opened um, uh, in its original form. And, uh, and now that we're here in 2024, we're no longer a cow town and a flyover state. We are an international destination. We have nearly 220 direct destinations for, uh, uh, from our airport, from Den. Um, and so someone from Reykjavik, Iceland could take the direct flight to Den, to Denver, Colorado, take the A-line to Union Station, and then, um, and then say, I've heard that Colorado has a rugged outdoor lifestyle. I heard that Colorado and Denver are, are known for the outdoors. And wouldn't it be great if we had a program for them uh, to take advantage of what, uh, what we offer here in Denver? And, uh, and so I guess where I'm trying to go with this is that Denver today is way different than Denver in 1982. And, uh, and it makes a whole lot of sense now that we are a destination, it makes sense for us to make sure that we have uh, the right messaging for the people who want to come to, uh, to Denver as from anywhere else in the, in the world. Uh, what I would also say is, I think it's very important for us to show those folks from Reykjavik or anywhere else uh, that we are Denver, that not, that not that you're gonna see a chain that you see anywhere else in any other city in the United States or beyond, uh, but that you see businesses that are uniquely Denver, that, um, that are women or minority-owned businesses that are Denver-based. And that's what I really want us to have in our 16th Street Mall. And uh, part of that vision, part of that planning, so, you know, some of it's branding for uh, the folks from Reykjavik, but a lot of the, uh, the visioning is to make sure that we get it right. Uh, we as in uh, the stewards of taxpayer dollars. We wanna make sure that we get it right um, and uh, you know, the pop-up Denver program, we've already 
been through an iteration or two of it, and, uh, and we've learned a lot of lessons. Uh, but that's how we do it, right? Is we uh, we learn lessons when we spend a little bit of money. And I'm not saying that uh, I have a million and uh, 1.15 million dollars in my wallet. That's a lot of money to me. But uh, but in the grand scheme of things, and the amount of work that we want to do downtown to make it a vibrant uh, place for people to live, work, and play, and for their uh, to be community, and, uh, and, and it to be the, the 16th Street Mall that we all envisioned when the mall opened in 1982, and we went to the mall, um, you know, again and again growing up for, um, as, uh, as tourists do, and, uh, and so I'm very excited about, uh, about this expenditure. I think that it is, um, in the, again, in the grand scheme of things, for us to keep our secret sauce, it is a limited expenditure to make sure that once we have the first blocks, the 16th Street Mall reopen in the second quarter of 2024, that it is uh, exactly what we want and that we've got uh, the right messaging, not only for the people uh, from far beyond Denver's borders, but uh, we have the right messaging on how we wanna spend money here in Denver to lift up those businesses that are uniquely Denver. So I will certainly be a yes, thank you. Thank you, Councilman Flynn. Uh, thank you, Madam, <clears throat> Madam President Pro Tem. Uh, Councilman Hines, I was here when the mall opened in 1982, covered it for the Rocky Mountain News, and uh, the Challenger explosion was actually in 1986. So just just keep uh, your childhood memories in proper order. The uh, but what I did every year after the after the 16th Street Mall opened was I kept a block by block uh, diagram of the businesses that came and went. <laughs> And believe me, the, the 16th Street Mall, the businesses on 16th Street underwent tremendous change through the 80s and the 90s. How many folks used to go to the Denver Tea Room? How many folks went to this, the uh, Zeckendorf Plaza skating rink? No, these, aren't, these aren't here anymore, right? Things have changed tremendously. But because of the accessibility of the 16th Street Mall, the concentration of our transit, our collection and distribution of, of workers and of uh, tourists and residents downtown, 16th Street became the hub of downtown Denver. The pandemic really knocked the crap out of it, out of a lot of us. I was on one of the economic relief and recovery uh, council groups. I was on the large employer and anchor institutions group and I do know that based on that work that this is an appropriate use of ARPA funding for this. And based on the numbers that Councilwoman Parity that you presented, uh, I, I come to the conclusion that, that this is actually an appropriate amount to, to uh, allocate to our downtown and to trying to bring that back. I would hate to see us reopen the 16th Street Mall in its better, better configuration, uh, frankly, than the original. Um, only to have to go through another decade and a half of trying to bring it back the way we did after 1982. Uh, this is a very meager amount of funding to try to seed that growth and that, that change that needs to happen on 16th Street. I think in the you know 10 years from now, we're gonna see a lot more people living downtown than officing downtown. COVID changed a lot. Uh, it changed the world, it changed a lot of work habits, and we have to change with the times. 
So I think this is a completely appropriate expenditure and I tend to support it. And I ask my colleagues to do so. Thank you. Thank you, Councilman Flynn. Councilwoman Alvarez. Thank you so much. Um, I just wanted to share, um, I did get reached out by a small business owner last week and I was hoping to get an email with her name, but I didn't get it. <laughs> um, that was really looking forward to these funds because they're going to be able to rent a space downtown, which would normally be out of reach for them. Um, it was a Nigerian artist. And I think it's so cool that people from other countries can come here and, and start a business here on the 16th Street Mall because I don't think it's been necessarily um, inclusive in the past. And I feel like that we learned from our previous experience um, with the pop-up previously downtown and that this is a better effort. I know there's gonna be um, also cart opportunities, which is much more accessible. And there's gonna be opportunities for small business owners that have never had a physical space or never been able to have a store. Um, so that's something that I'm really excited about as well as I love that there's also opportunity for more experienced vendors and retail. So I did have an in-depth conversation with you and I feel like those small business opportunities are the economic mobility that give people opportunity to create a life for themselves here in Denver when it's when the cost of living is so high and it is so difficult. So I just wanted to share that woman's story and appreciate the true effort on supporting small, local, and international diverse businesses in this effort. So thank you for that. Thank you. Councilman Sawyer? Thanks, Madam President Pro Tem. Um, today, uh, as this call out came across my desk, I, was, uh, I happened to be looking at the Colorado Polling Institute um, poll of 2024 likely voters. This was done August 17th and 18th of 2023. Question 15 was, do you feel optimistic or pessimistic about the progress being made on downtown Denver's recovery? 44.6% of respondents said pessimistic and only 30.2% said optimistic. Um, given that we are an extremely heavy, um, there's an extremely large portion of our general fund that comes from sales tax revenue um, and that means that, that it's clear our success rises or falls on the success of downtown and having a 44.6% pessimistic um, response to the progress being made on downtown Denver's recovery is a problem. Um, and so I'm gonna say quite frankly, this isn't enough money. I realize it's a lot of money and I know that there are competing priorities across the city of Denver and with our residents. Our general fund cannot fund any of those other items if we are not getting the sales tax revenue in that we need in order to keep our general fund healthy. And that means that while this is not the best time for this, given the migrant crisis that we are looking at, given the $45 million we just spent on um, the House 1000 effort, this needs to happen. And in fact, more needs to happen. So um, I just wanted to, to add that as well um, because I think it is really important. Thanks. Thank you. Councilman Lewis? Just, yeah. yeah. Just one quick question. What do you all anticipate will be the return on this investment? Well, I think um, the return that we're hoping for are more businesses operating downtown, generating the sales tax revenue that, that Councilwoman Sawyer talks about. I think we're also anticipating, obviously, as, as 16th reopens, we're expecting and hoping um, uh, for an increase in foot traffic as well. 
Um, we do know, you know, the return to office has not um, um, came back in the way that we had hoped it would. So we are having to look at, at making up some of that traffic in other areas, whether, it, whether it's more visitors attracted or, or more visitors from the region as well as, as national and convention and business. So I would say the two outcomes that we expect are, are increased traffic downtown and increased sales tax generation. Do you, do you have a specific <clears throat> metric or number in mind that you all? We do not, we're tracking, you know, we're tracking it in general. We don't have access to the specific sales tax dollars for each business, but we um, do have sales tax information for the downtown area as a whole that we'll be tracking and, and seeing measuring impact that way. In the conversations that you've all had with the small business owners, have they spoken to you all about the amount of dollars that they have lost in revenue and how this particular action might be able to help them either fill that gap or exceed it? We have conversations continuously with small businesses downtown and, and you know, not only how they were impacted by the pandemic, but also how they are impacted by the construction. And we gather that information um, before um, providing grant assistance to them. Um, and, you know, I can't speak as a whole about how those small businesses um, are viewing the support, but I think everybody's excited about 16th Street reopening and, and you know, just what will it mean, it, it can and will mean to their businesses to have, have that, um, have it reopen. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Councilman Gonzalez Gutierrez. Thank you, um, Madam, uh, Madam Pro Tem. Um, I just have a couple of questions and I apologize if this was stated earlier, I'm trying to look through all the things. Um, can you remind me when we need to expend uh, ARPA funds for this? So our contract for these dollars will go through the end of 2025. So this, this $1,150,000 will need to be spent by then. I think ARPA as a whole has to be spent by the end of 2026. Okay, and by expended, does that mean have money had gone out the door to pay contractors? By the end of 2026, and we do have someone from finance here, but I do think everything has to be spent by the end of 2026. Oh, sure. Hi. Everyone, Dan Factor, Federal Grants Manager with the Department of Finance. Um, just to clarify that point, the funds do have to be expended, meaning completely out the door by the end of 2026, but they have to be obligated, which means there has to be a financial obligation and commitment to these funds by the end of 2024. So you know, with all the contracting process, all that we have to take into consideration, that is right around the corner. But just wanna make that distinction. So by the end of 2024, obligated and spent out the door by the end of 2026? Correct. Okay. Um, and then my other question, and I might, I don't know who will answer this, but um, when are, what's the uh, completion date or estimated completion date for 16th Street Mall? answer that generally. We are expecting some blocks to begin to open in 2024 and the second half, and then it will be fully completed in the fall of 2025. Okay, thank you. Um, and, and the reason I'm asking those questions, because I'm just trying to understand the timeline, if funds need to be fully expended by 2026, and a lot of the things that are falling under this are after construction has been completed, I mean, we can't have the mall ride running if the street's still torn up. We can't have 
um, you know, a lot of, we can't have the businesses open if there's nowhere for people to walk to get to them um, with the construction happening. And so I'm just trying to understand the phasing and timeline if it's, we're going to be able to expend these funds in time by, by the construction being completed. Th those are conversations that we have had with, with our contractor on this and there is gonna be no issue with having the funds expended based on the activities um, within the time frame that we're expecting. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Madam Pro Tem. Madam Secretary, roll call on Council Resolution 1887. Cashman? Aye. Alvidras? Aye. Flynn? Aye. Gonzalez Gutierrez? Nay. Hines? Aye. Lewis? Nay. Parody? Nay. Romero Campbell? Aye. Sawyer? Aye. Council President Pro Tem Sandoval? Aye. <clears throat> Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. Three nays, seven ayes. Council Resolution <clears throat> 7 Eyes, Council Resolution 1887 is adopted. Madam Secretary, please put the next item on our screens. Council Member Romero Campbell, will you please put Resolution 1899 on the floor for adoption? Yes, I move that Council Resolution 231899 be adopted. It has, it has been moved and seconded. Comments by members of council, council member Lewis. Thank you, I have a few <clears throat> more comments than questions, but um, I know you have some staff here couldn't answer a few of these. Um, so I have some questions in advance um, of this meeting um, to folks who work um, in our real estate team. And one of the questions was around the assessed values for 2021 and 2022. <clears throat> um, and correct me if I'm wrong, Lisa. Um, the assessed value for 2022 is about $23 million um, with an, exem an exemption of about $11 million uh, due to the city leases. Um, for 2021, um, the assessed value for this building was 24, about $24 million um, with an, exem an exemption of $7 million um, due to city leases. Um, I also inquired about the vacancy rate um, for downtown, specifically in the central business district, um, because this, there's, this is a lot of money. Um, and um, it's my understanding that it's between 16.2% and 28.55%. Um, I inquired about the number of small businesses that have closed um, over the past two years and learned that we don't actually track that data, um, which I think is interesting considering the uh, previous conversation. Um, I also asked about what um, is the estimated cost for renovation um, because um, we haven't purchased this quite yet. Um, we would have to work with an architect to determine how we might be able to um, retrofit this building um, to serve our needs. But in that estimation, it's about $2 million um, in addition to the building purchase. Um, and I also inquired as to why we would see an increase um, in the number, an, an increase uh, which would result in the use of us needing this additional space. Um, and there were a number of reasons. One, um, caseload trends, um, population growth, 
um, and then also mental health caseloads um, were mentioned as well. And so with all of these, and I just wanna be transparent that I do, I just do not think we are utilizing um, our dollars um, in this particular um, case in the best ways, considering the myriad of issues that I think we are trying to hold at the same time, um, particularly around our unhoused, but even the migrant crises. Um, and so uh, while I understand the need for this, I do not understand the urgency as it is, um, as it's been presented currently um, for an investment of um, $88 million when we've um, seen, at least from the data that I received, that um, the assessed values from 2021 and 2022 don't actually justify that. So thank you. Thank you, Councilman. Councilman Alvarez. Thank you, Madam Pro Tem. Um, I do echo my colleagues' concerns, and I think that when we look at such a huge purchase on behalf of the city, there it just doesn't make sense. This is what we anticipate going down in value in the future, so we could get actually a better price on this. Um, in the future, I'm concerned about the amount of real estate that we're buying as a city in general, and then what is the purpose for it? Um, I also have concerns around the appraised value and um, why did we lease so much space in downtown Denver just to purchase more space in downtown Denver now, which a lot of it is our empty um, so we could have used that space instead, and we'll be renting literally from ourselves. So yes, we'll be paying for this by rent received, which is ultimately paid for by us. So I just cannot um, wrap my head around why this is a smart thing for us to do as a city, and there's some huge benefits towards us now um, owning it, which should be tax exemption, which will be a huge financial benefit um, to the lessee. So I am also very concerned that I haven't seen, I was never seen it explored, what our termination costs would be for the current lease so we wouldn't end up renting from ourselves. I haven't seen an inspection report with details of what the maintenance, um, not the maintenance costs, but any repairs that it needs, when was the last maintenance done. Um, so I'm very disappointed in this huge purchase that I would never advise anyone to vote on with the amount of information that I have. Thank you, Council, Pro, Madam Pro Tem. Thank you. Councilman Flynn. Thank you, Madam President Pro Tem. Last I looked, I was at the bottom of the list. Now I'm at the top. How'd that happen? Magic. 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 Uh, thank you. The, uh, you know, it's, I have mixed feelings about this billing because the last time I was in there, I got laid off. <laughs> thank you. Uh, the assessed value for tax for property taxes is 23 million, but that's not the value of the building. The, the assessed value of commercial property is only about under old Gallagher was what 29%. Uh, the assessor this year has that building assessed at $82.7 million. Uh, the presentation we got from Lisa Lumley was that the $88 million purchase price is in line with the appraisals that were done on the building. Uh, so the market says the building is worth at least that $88 million. The assessed value, $23 million, no one would sell it for $23 million. My house is assessed at, what is it now, 6.79% of its actual value. I wouldn't sell it for that. So that's, that's, it's not going to sell for $23 million. The need was uh, presented to us by real estate, mostly for the state and county courts expansions that are going to be needed over the next 
decade that cannot be accommodated, believe it or not, in the uh, Lindsay Flanagan Courthouse or even in this building right here where all the courts used to be at one time. Uh, the rent that we are paying over there for occupying more than half of the building, we will recoup because the Denver Post, which I don't know if it still occupies any of the building, but it's still, it subleases a lot of it. And we will actually be netting, I think about $7 million. Is there anyone here from real estate? I don't see Lisa Lumley here. Yeah, Lisa Lumley's here. Oh, there you are, you're hiding. <coughs> hiding behind former Councilman Clark. Thank you. Lisa, in the, at least in the next seven years, I think, or actually until 2029, we, uh, we will be paying rent to uh, DP Media, which is the parent organization that grew out of the Denver Post that owns the building. And uh, explain how that works. We're actually netting positive money out of this transaction through 2029. So, and it is complicated, Councilwoman, you're right. Um, so the Denver Post has a current lease, master lease in place. So they are obligated to pay, right now it's approximately 7.7 .7 million. It will increase in another, I think it's year and a half to eight point something, uh, 8.5, I believe it is. And they will pay that regardless. Um, by virtue of then the city leasing part of it, we do pay that to DP Media who will in turn pay it back to us. So it is almost like a lease to own kind of thing mm -hmm. where it will be then that revenue that we're receiving. The initial um, response that our finance team got from the market softly was that the payment for the COP that would be anticipated would be less than what that revenue is that's coming in. So you're right, there would be actually a net um, that we would receive on top of it. Can you, uh, Lisa, can you explain the uh, space study that went into concluding that the courts will need more space. We also mentioned some of our nonprofit partners who work with the justice system, with the court system that can be housed over there, that some of, maybe some of them are housed there now, and how this space being on Civic Center uh, is actually a better location for those courts than if we were to look to expand in, in lower downtown or somewhere else in downtown that might be vacant and available, but to have it around the cultural and civic center of, of the city. I'll actually address that first then. Um, I, I can't get into certain details because there are safety concerns about that, but there are absolute um, really important synergies that go with having the courts all together, both from an employee standpoint for the courts and the attorneys who are working it and the judges, as well as, um, like I said, there's some other security things that go into the day-to-day makings of the courts that make it really important that they are all very closely linked together geographically. Um, then that being said, the court study, we undertook that master plan a couple of years ago um, in preparation because we were hearing things from the state, from district courts and then county courts on growth. And um, the councilwoman's right. What I sent was there were a number of reasons that they anticipate the growth. It does have to do with changes at the state level, and I won't quote it all, um, but different house bills. Um, it also has to do with population growth, um, not just in Denver, but around the metro area, because we have people coming in from the metro area downtown, as well as tourists. And so that is increasing caseload. And then lastly, um, probate is seeing an increase in mental health cases as well. So that is what is driving that need. 
Am I missing a question you asked then? Um, the, well, I think you addressed the last question was the importance of having uh, not looking for space outside the core here of the civic uh, and that was something, speaking here. to um, county court and district court was really mm -hmm. concerning to them that anything would be um, further than basically this little radius that we have right now between mm -hmm. all the courts. Mm -hmm. Right. Thank you. Thank you, Madam President. <clears throat> Thank you, Pro Councilman Quinn. Next up, we have Councilman Gonzalez Gutierrez. Thank you, uh, Madam Pro Tem. Um, and thank you, Lisa. I know I sent over questions and I apologize that they were a little bit late, um, but I'm gonna, um, I'll ask them here. Um, and I guess it would have probably, and I'm, I apologize, it would have been helpful to either for me to ask for this, but also maybe to just be provided as part of this is um, the court's master plan. I don't know that we ever, I, I don't know that I've ever seen it. And, and if it has been sent to me, just the entire body there okay. were some pages out of that master plan. I didn't send the whole plan because there's some, um, uh, it was pretty lengthy, but we pulled some of the key um, assumptions, findings, things like that. Okay. So happy to still get it to you, but I apologize. Yeah. That should have been no, I'll, I'll look out for it again. I apologize. Like I said, it might've been sent and with the last couple of weeks um, might've not been seen. Um, I, I have a quick question because you mentioned tourists and, and as it relates to the need for um, additional courtroom space, can you explain to me that nexus? Like what is I think that it was connection? more just activity and growth in general that when they were projecting based on current caseload and they were looking, um, they were using, they utilized work that was already done at the state level for um, existing caseloads and judgeships. And so then they used that with the state um, who was working on population growth. And so using some, it wasn't a full, percentage you know calculation but it was a percent of that growth and they were finding though that certainly incoming folks um as tourists were also there was a percentage there that ended up in the system in our criminal justice court system okay thank you so much for that um the other um the other questions i have are so with regards to the master the court's master plan how much space will be remaining? So the, the rental use, I guess, space that will be remaining. If, if we purchase the building? Mm -hmm. Well, that is where um, the goal would be next year, we would do, or this year, I guess, an intensive um, work from a programming standpoint, because I can't speak to the efficiencies on each floor. Mm -hmm. In general, though, I will say the building is just over 300,000 square feet. Mm -hmm. And we know that right now, based on the study, which we would want to confirm nothing significant has changed. Right now, the study is saying we need at least 280,000 square feet. Okay, so there'd be, uh, I'm not good at math right now, uh, a little over 50,000 20, 20, plus square feet extra, right. Okay. And I think back to what Councilman Flynn had asked, there are nonprofits as well that we do have in this building that we know there is other interests potentially that could be um, serving different victim and other advocacy groups. And so this would be an opportunity to be very intentional. Right now, they do not have dedicated space. They move as we need to move them around as we build out more courtrooms or finish out more courtrooms in this building. Okay. And then just clarity on the cost per courtroom. Mm -hmm. is, is it per courtroom, $2 million? Or is it per, $2 million total no, per, per courtroom? Per courtroom. Per and courtroom. so and we're basing that right now based on the, what the cost has been for renovating courtrooms in this building. And how many courtrooms? Uh, it's approximately 20. 
20 at $2 million yes. a piece. Okay. And then the last, um, hopefully the last question I have is, um, I guess, are we, are, is, because there was mention of folks from the web building while there are renovations happening there, perhaps being moved into that space or being able to go, because they're gonna be able to go back to the web building, unless that's currently people that are being housed at the post building going back to yeah, the web building. The, if I understand your question correctly, I think the web building project that we had brought forward to council before, people would still move back to web as planned because we would need the entire building at this point in time, we would need the entire building for the court's plan then. Okay. Now that will be phased though, you're right, because we still have our own leases that roll out at, at different years um, coming up first in 25. And so we would be able to do that um, incrementally, potentially while we still have those leases in place um, before the end of the Denver post expiration. Okay. And I guess I'm just curious because I know that the Plaza Republic was something that was approved by council some time ago um, for lease space for the DAs. Mm -hmm. And that's having to be, I think, I don't know if it's furnished or just like retrofitted for them to be able to utilize that space. Meantime, meanwhile, we are looking at purchasing this building, which will not be utilized immediately or will not go into any kind of planning right away because plans have to be written up obviously and that won't happen unless we actually purchase the building and so it would be sitting vacant and couldn't we have had if you know this were to go through instead of doing another lease over here and I, I mean I guess I, I understand the sequencing of things but I guess I'm a little bit trying to understand we're spending more money when we're already doing lease housing people housing um having I shouldn't say housing sorry having um, offices in one building, and now we're going to looking at purchasing another building for a pretty large amount of money, um, and then still having this lease over at the Republic Plaza, when if we have this building, we could just utilize our own space. What I would say is you're right about the timing and the sequencing. Um, the DA and part of the whole web project needed to occur in a fairly, you know, relatively tight timeline. Um, the Denver Post building, while there may be some space available, the city does not control that right now. That would be the Denver Post. So I will tell you that if we were to lease the Denver Post today, all things being equal, we would actually be paying more money there and not realizing anything, just paying more money there versus what we were able to get through an RFP process for the Republic Plaza. That being said, um, you know, what does it look like down the road for DA and um, and any other location that we're leasing right now. I think that's something that we think about and we do look you know, years out to try to, if we can, bring any tenant back in. Um, but there are times with growth that we just, we don't have the luxury of additional space. And I would say that for you know, the courts project, our challenge is that actually to be able, the plan itself said that the first, I think it's 171,000 square feet, something like that, um, we need that by 2030. So for us to achieve that, to work with architects, do the design, the plans, and then do the construction, I'm actually worried that we're already behind. Yeah. So that is our challenge with, with sequencing. Okay, thank you. And um, sorry, I forgot about this last phase is the parking spaces. So there's 635 parking spaces. And I think according to the presentation that you all did um, a few weeks ago, that 
you're, I think the hope is, is that those will be revenue generating. Is that correct? Yes. Once right now, that's still under the control of the DP media. Um, but once their lease rolls out, then that those would all be parking spaces that the city would control. And would those parking spaces be for city employees? Or I think for... that it would probably be both. The, the way the building is split, there is one side that could be just employees, judges from a security standpoint, and then the other could be paid parking. Um, just putting a plug out there, but with 635 spaces and the amount of city employees that work downtown, I'd be curious to know how many and how many of them are paying for parking to work downtown um, that perhaps we can allow them to park for free. Um, just a plug, but anyway, Happy thank you so much for all the questions, for answering all my questions. Yep. Thank you, but Madam Pratel. Thank you. Next up, we have Councilman Parity. Yeah. Hey, Lisa, thank you so much for all the work on this. Um, one question that I have is whether we could go back and look at the, um, the court space projections that led to building Lindsay Flanagan um, and get a sense of how those played out over time. Um, because I, it is interesting to me that we built this new complex so recently and we're already needing more space for the courts. I also, um, you know, I guess coming a little bit from law world, um, I think there's a lot of assumptions baked into what they're projecting. And, I'm, and I also think that we, um, we do continue to have this kind of push and pull between allowing our employees to do more remote work and adding and purchasing more space. Um, that was one of my concerns about renting the space in Republic Plaza as well, as you know. Um, so one thing I think I'd like to do, and, um, and I'll let everyone answer their questions before I make this motion, but I'd like to move to postpone this to January 16th, because um, I'm hearing a lot of questions. I have a lot of questions, not for lack of you answering, but just because we, we keep sort of going back and forth and doing this iterative thing, and I still have some things I'd like to follow up on, um, but not making that motion yet so that everyone has a chance to ask questions. Um, given that, I would love to see that, that Lindsay Flanagan background, um, you know, when if, if someone's able to provide that. I can see what I can find out since that would have gone back to probably 2007, um, 2008, I would assume, um, in, before the bond. Okay. But sure, I'll see what I can follow up to provide. Yeah, if possible, yeah. understanding, you know, the passage of time and government records and such. Um, and then I think um, the other the other kind of follow-up question that I have is just um, we had a little bit of back and forth about how much the, those existing leases are are um, accounting for the purchase price. Um, and I actually think that might be just a simple math problem of like assuming that we know the value of those leases, we know what's coming in. Can we um, subtract that out and do that math on a square footage basis? That I think would really help me um, understand um, <coughs> why we're paying as much as we are per square foot because it I does seem high. I may follow up with you then separately okay. so I make sure I understand. Um, and I may, I'm probably misapprehending something so you can tell me if I am. Um, last, last, I guess, question that I have is um, when we talked about Republic Plaza, we talked about the fact that in part, we were making a policy decision to intentionally kind of invest in downtown. Is that part of what's going on with the post building as well? No, um, so, and I think when you're right, when we talked about that, that was specific to the swing space for just a very limited period of time. Um, I, for this, this is truly just a need driven um, requirement. And I think um, it's again, trying to meet this court's study and the, fact that we would need this much space by 23. Okay. Um, last thing I'll say is I think it might be helpful for other members as well if we could um, connect directly with um, with sort of the um, whoever within the courts put together that study and those projections. 
um, rather than kind of the game of telephone. I've got a thought on who, and she's already said she'd be willing to speak to council with any questions. Cool. Thank you so much. Um, I will get back in the queue after everyone has had a chance to make that motion, unless someone else wants to be me to that, which is fine too. And council members, if you pull up the script online, it's been updated. If you know how to do that. Yep. Councilman Sawyer. Council member, will you make sure? My bad. All right. You guys, it's the first day of 2024. Okay. It got me a little slack here. Um, so, <laughs> so please walk me through how we are going to pay for this again, because sure. I seem to recall from committee that this is going to be paid for out of certificates of participation, which then is not general fund dollars. Correct. So I want to just make sure that I've got that fresh in my mind. Correct, and um, as I shared at committee, where normally we would try to have it come together as a companion, we intentionally, I asked our finance team if they would softly reach out to the markets, but not do it so that it was out there ahead before city council even heard about it. Um, and so because of that, that is why it is tracking just a couple weeks behind. Okay. And the intention would be, you're right, that it would be a certificate of participation. They've already gone out to the markets now with an RFP. They would be in front of city council in March, or I'm sorry, in February. Um, and then the, um, assuming council approved it, then that would, their lease um, for the certificates of participation would close in March. Um, at the same okay. time then that we would do the closing for the transaction itself. Okay, thank you for that information. Um, and then you mentioned in your comments just a couple of minutes ago that there's approximately 20, the need for approximately 20 additional courtrooms mm -hmm. um, based on some changes to laws at the state level that are trickling down to have an effect on us. Um, so at $2 million pop, we're looking at $40 million in build out. Um, that is not an amount of money that we would generally invest, is it, out of the general fund? No, there would be, there would be, we would be coming back to council to discuss uh, whether it's a restructuring of the financing, additional financing mechanism, something like that. Okay. But once we, I think next year would be, or this year again, um, would be used to do the true programming and scoping so that we truly could have a budget um, window that we know that we can talk about then for approval. Okay, really appreciate that because I've got to say this is not great timing, right? Totally. Uh, I want to acknowledge this that. is definitely not great timing. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, there are a lot of different funding streams available to the city of Denver. Um, the one that we deal with most often as council members is the general fund, mm -hmm. but this is not dollars that could be spent on something else because of the, the funding stream that we are talking about paying for this. Correct. So we are not sacrificing, um, you know, support for unhoused residents or migrants or our, our everyday taxpaying residents. We are not sacrificing the ability to support them um, by, you, by if this were to be approved. Correct. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Madam Pre President Pro Tem. Thank you. Councilman Flynn. Thank you, Madam President Pro Tem. Uh, I would like to uh, postpone this under Rule 3.7 for one week to uh, January 8th, our next meeting. Unless, I think Angela Casillas is on Zoom, we could ask her. 
uh, on behalf of the mayor's office if the mayor would be willing to withdraw this tonight and resubmit it. Uh, it cannot be postponed beyond next week because the 30-day clock for council to act runs out before the meeting on the 16th. Remember, in, in our meeting on the third week will be the 16th, not the 15th, because of the Martin Luther King holiday. And so the 30-day clock runs out. We've already had a week missing because of the, the off week last week. Uh, so if other members who still have questions think that uh, they can get those answers or real estate can get them their answers before next Monday, uh, then we can uh, just do this rule 3.7 one week delay. But otherwise a motion to postpone to the 16th would result in an automatic approval, which I imagine the administration might actually like uh, if I hadn't pointed that out. Uh, I'm gonna defer to our city attorney. Uh, thanks, Council President Pro Tem, on Assistant City Attorney. Uh, Councilman Flynn, as Councilwoman um, Parody mentioned, it sounded like she was planning to make a motion to postpone to a date certain, which would be beyond the, the one week, it would be the two week delay. That motion would take precedence if she does in fact make that motion under our rule 3.7. So if she makes a motion under 6.3 for a vote to postpone for two weeks, as opposed to an individual member postponing for one week, that would take precedence. It's up to you all as to which can method I, you want to take. Can, can I ask a question? Sure. Um, can we get someone who knows the shot clock on here? Because what we need to do is we have a city council 30 day, or um, if we don't approve it, what Councilman Flynn is saying is it will automatically get approved. Does anyone know? Can someone find that? Or Anshul, can you find that exact date? Is Councilwoman Parity, if we approve it on 116, are we beyond that 30 day contract? So. This one is a little bit strange, but I'll tell you what the following. So the agenda description states that the shot clock expires on January 22nd. Um, that's, I believe, correct. Technically, this was filed last week because of a snafu. It may have been filed the week before, but according to the agenda, on the, the description on the agenda, the shot clock is 122, which would allow you to postpone until 116. This was, this was not submitted for council okay. approval until last week. Thank you. Okay. <clears throat> Councilman Sawyer, are you finished? Are you done in the queue? Yep. Um, Councilman Parity. Yeah, I'm sorry. I just want to understand from Anshul, um, you said something about a snafu just now. I just want to make sure. I would like us to have as much time as possible, but I don't want to create a shot clock problem. So I will move to the 16th if we're sure the shot clock runs on the 22nd. Um, but I want to be positive before I make that motion. Sure. So the charter says that council has 30 days until uh, 30 days from the submittal of the resolution approving the contract to council. This was sent to filing parties, and those filing parties, I, I believe, filed this the week prior to last week. However, this was not submitted for council approval until last week. So your shot clock will run 122. So what the agenda is correct saying the last regular scheduled city council meeting within the 30 day review period is on 122-24. Okay, Councilman Parity, would you like to move forward with um, your motion? Um, yes, just realized I can't do so. Do you need the link? Do you see it? I have the link. Got it. I just lost it. <clears throat> I opened it, closed it, and I'm opening it back again. 
in case anyone watching doesn't know, they give us scripts. It's very helpful. Um, sorry, you guys, if I'm ruining <laughs> our magic. All right, so um, <laughs> the inside scoop. Um, I move that Council Resolution 23-1899 be pro pro postponed uh, to Tuesday, January 16th, 2024. There's a motion for postponement to Tuesday, January 16th. Second. Uh, second. Yep, okay, perfect. We have a motion and we have a second. Um, comments by Councilmember Parity? Um, no additional comments. <laughs> Thank you. Madam Secretary, roll call on the motion to postpone Council Resolution 1899 to Tuesday, January 16th, 2024. Cashman? Aye. Alvidrez? Aye. Flynn? Aye. Gonzalez Gutierrez? Aye. Hines? Aye. Lewis? Aye. Parody? Aye. Romero Campbell? Aye. Sawyer? Aye. Madam President Pro Tem? Aye. Madam, Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. 10 ayes. 10 ayes. Council Resolution 23 1899 is postponed to Tuesday, January 26, 2024. Thank you all. Madam Secretary, please put the next item on our screens. Council. <clears throat> um. Councilmember Lewis, go ahead with your questions on Council Bill on Council Resolution 1946. Um, thank you so much. I just have a, a general question around um, these contracts. Um, <clears throat> so I don't have a opinion as to the, the costs or any of that. I just want to start with that. Um, but it, it looks like the original cost of this contract um, was way lower than it needed to be. Um, and so I'm just curious, how are these contracts determined? Um, and do we build in wiggle room um, to accommodate cost increases. Thank you. And if you'll introduce yourself for the record. Purchasing. When I did this contract back in um, January of 2020, it was obviously before COVID, and I used the current numbers of what we were using for the asphalt plant as our numbers. And since then, uh, we've had one price increase uh, throughout the uh, current four years, uh, estimating five years, plus uh, the asphalt plant production has increased within that five, this four-year, five-year time frame. And this is just for additional funds that we did not realize back in 2020 we needed. So how are they ca calculated now? How do you <coughs> calculate that now? Uh, I look at the current spend and uh, there, I have a spreadsheet that we look at the current spend, do an average of what the annual projection has been, how much we spent throughout the last five years, and then do a projection uh, of how much we would need this year and when uh, the current contract, if it was at $2 million, when it would run out. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I do not know those numbers off the top okay. of my head, but it was a, cal a calculation that I put into a spreadsheet. Great, that's helpful. Asphalt is very expensive. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Thank you. Councilman Parity? Yeah, sorry. I have a quick follow-up question. Is our asphalt prices increasing? I'm just curious about this. And if so, what's driving that? I'm going to bring up John, who's our asphalt plant manager. Thank you. 
It's, it's an exciting day on city council when we get to meet the asphalt plant manager. <laughs> Hi, uh, John Essex, three maintenance uh, with Dottie. So it was what's driving the, could you repeat the question? Yeah, well, um, first of all, are asphalt prices increasing? Did I get that part correct? And if so, what's, yeah, what's driving it? Like what overall economic sure, yeah, things? Yes, asphalt prices uh, are increasing. Um, cost of materials is, is a huge driver and the biggest one would be the cost of the oil we get um, a couple say a few years ago it was around four hundred dollars a ton is how they do it. instead of instead of gallons now it's seven hundred seven dollars for that same ton um, cost of transportation cost of manufacture cost of labor yeah, it, it's it's all it's all going up in costs thank you that's all I was curious about just you know nothing can be easy around here right guys thank you thank you <clears throat> Madam Secretary, please put the next item. <clears throat> please put the next items on our screens. Um, Council Morales, this is you again, correct? <clears throat> Go ahead with your questions on 1946. Uh, so, quick question around. Um, so in the file of materials, it states that there's no hybrid or electro electric vehicles available. Um, are these hybrid or electric options that are right-hand drive or was there a lack of standard hybrid or electric options generally unavailable? Uh, Council Pro Tem. Um, Councilman Lewis, uh, currently, so right now, the Jeep Wrangler is really the only whole vehicle that you can buy that's in right-hand drive, and all they offer it is in the full gas right now. We have looked, there are some kind of smaller electric vehicles that are out there. They don't offer the safety for our drivers that is necessary right now. So no, at this time, this is the only really right-hand drive vehicle you can purchase, not an EV option. That's very helpful. Was there, is there some urgency for you all to go ahead Talk to me about that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So our current fleet, and, and with these right-hand drive Jeeps, these are actually not an every model year thing. I think it's actually been about a, probably three, four years since they've offered these. So our current fleet of 20 of these Jeeps, uh, I think just pretty much all of them are over 100,000 miles at this point. So they are past their useful life. Okay. And because of that, we run at about, uh, what was it, Donnie, about a 60%, currently about a 60% up rate. So that means 40% of our vehicles are in maintenance are down for maintenance at any time right now. And that really kind of shows the urgency of, of needing these new vehicles. Yeah. What's the, I'm assuming formula, maybe that's not the proper term. What's the proper, the formula that you all use to project when you would need to replace your fleets? Uh, actually with that, I'll, I'll defer to our uh, manager of fleet here, Mr. Okay. Donnie Cruz. Thank you. How's it going? Donnie Cruz, fleet operations manager. Uh, so 10 years on, on light duty vehicles is kind of when the the timeline for replacement is 10 years or 100,000 miles is when we try to replace them. All right, that's it. Yep, thank, thank you. you. All right, thank you. Madam Secretary, please put the next item on our screens. Councilmember Lewis, go ahead with your questions on Council Resolution 1926. Um, thank you so much. A quick question. I, I just wanted to really know, understand how this contract works specifically. Like, what are the number of units that 215K would cover? 
Midori Higa, she, her pronouns. I'm the director of homelessness resolution programs for the Department of Housing Stability. Uh, for the U.S. Motels contract, we pay a nightly rate based on utilization. Uh, so we pay $129 a room. So mm -hmm. if a family fits in a room, then we pay for one room. If a family fits in two or three rooms, then we pay for those three rooms for that night. Um, so it's really based on that, Matt. Let's, let's do math. Um, this isn't a contract where we fully... We, we use the contract based on cold weather utilization, yeah. right? So if we had three nights of weather, whatever cold weather might be dictated at, then we would pay for those three nights for however many families are, are needing shelter. Um, so the spend rate just depends on the weather. Okay. Um, it could also depend on if there's some other type of urgent need that we identify and decide to use the contract for, which is why the contracts are in to include individuals and families, but it primarily supports families. So that was the second half of my question was the, what, what would be other emergency shelter needs? Uh, an example of what we've used it for before. Uh, so when we closed our last protective action site, um, the Aloft, we had a handful of individual, well, probably more than a handful, probably like a dozen individuals who had housing um, in place but not, had not yet moved in. So they had an opportunity for housing and were working with someone. Uh -huh. And so instead of pushing them back into a congregate shelter, we paid for them to have rooms through this contract um, so that they could maintain their case management in a setting where we knew we could find them every single day mm -hmm. um, so that they could move from there into their housing resource. That's helpful. And then my final question, in terms of how you uh, project the amount of dollars that you'll need or the amount of sheltering that you need is that um, do you use last year's like what you all would have done last year to, to de determine what you will need in the future? Yeah, so this is hard, right? So cold weather season typically spans over the end of a year and the beginning of a year. Yeah. So we know what we expended at the beginning of 2023. Uh, we we're fortunate enough to have a pretty mellow fall this fall. And so we're like, is this gonna be enough? We hope it's gonna be enough and it's not, then we'll look to find additional funds to put into the contract for the remainder of the cold weather season yeah. with uh, an assurance that we have additional funds for the back end of the year for the first part of the next cold weather season. Got it. Yeah, it's a sort of a, just trying to make sure we have everything that we need and it's a checks and balances every time, like every month, looking at the invoices, what did we do? How much do we have? How many roommates is that? How many people is that? And thinking about it that way, as opposed to like how many dollars are in the contract. Got it. But for this contract in particular, it's essentially set to carry you into 20, the early part of 2024 and then the later part of 2024? Correct. Is that, okay, mm -hmm. cool. That's it, thank you. Yeah. This concludes the items to be called out. All bills for introduction are ordered published. Council members remember that this is a consent or block vote and you will need to vote aye. Council member Romero Campbell, will you please put the resolutions for adoption and the bills on final consideration for final passage on the floor? Why, yes. Um, I move that the resolutions be adopted and bills on, the, on final consideration be placed <laughs> upon final consideration and do pass in a block for the following items. Uh, for series 23, 1913, 1914, 1937, 1908, 1911, 1938, 
1942, 1944, 1945, 1946, 1952, 1953, 1954, 1955, 1956, 1957, 1958, 1959, 1961, 1963, 1915, 1916, 1917, 1918, 1919, 1948, 1949, 1950, 1951, 1962, 1982, 19, oh, nope, not 19, 23, 16, or 16, wait a minute, 23, 16, 64, uh, 1897, I'm going to read these slower, 1912, 
go ahead, Justin, with your presentation. Just um, introduce yourself for the record. Thank you and happy new year and good evening. My name is Justin Montgomery with Community Planning and Development. I'm here to present uh, a map amendment request for 2040 North Ash Street. Uh, my presentation today will go over the request, the location and context, the process and the review criteria. The request is a rezoning from urban single unit C to urban single unit C1 to allow an accessory dwelling unit. The property is located in Council District 9 in the South Park Hill neighborhood. The existing zoning of the property is urban single unit C and it's surrounded by other properties zoned USUC and also USUE. The existing context is single family, uh, single unit residential next to other single unit residential properties. The building form in this area is uh, urban homes that are two and two and a half stories, detached from the street with detached uh, garages as well. Uh, the process for this um, case, the we had a complete application at the end of August where informational notice went out. Uh, this was presented in front of the planning board on um, the 1st of November. It stayed on the consent agenda and now we're here uh, at the, the city council public hearing. For public comments, we did not receive any uh, comments while this case was open and posted. Uh, the applicant did provide um, some comments in their application and everything was in support that we have seen. The planning board uh, kept this case on the consent agenda. There are five review criteria in the Denver zoning code that I will, uh, will go through now for this project. Um, the first is consens consistency with adopted plans. Uh, the comprehensive plan has several strategies that support a uh, mix, mix of housing, um, missing middle housing, and um, infill development, which this would all be. For Blueprint Denver, uh, the future neighborhood context um, is urban in this area. The future place is low residential and accessory dwelling units are um, appropriate in the low residential future place. The growth strategy is all other areas of the city uh, where you can find 10% uh, of jobs and 20% of housing by 2040. Housing policy for strategy E supports uh, rezoning of um, accessory dwelling units. The small area plan that's applicable is the east area plan. For the east area plan, this property is recommended to be a low residential single unit and accessory dwelling units are um, appropriate in this area. The request also satisfies um, criteria two and three, being that it's a standard um, zone district that will keep the uniformity of district regulations. And it furthers the public's health, safety, and welfare um, by implementing adopted plan guidance. The justifying circumstances here are the city adopted plans, as I just went through. Um, Blueprint Denver and East Area Plan both support 
And finally, the, the request is consistent with the neighborhood context, zone district purpose and intent for the area. CPD recommends approval based on the, the, the finding that all the review criteria have been met. And that's what concludes my presentation. Thank you. Thank you. We have one person signed up, Jesse Paris. Yes, uh, good evening, good evening, members of council, those watching at home, those in the council chambers. Uh, happy New Year. I see we're starting off 2024 with a bang already. Um, my name is Jessica Sean Paris, and I represent for Black Star Action Movement for Self-Defense, Positive Action Commitment for Social Change, as well as the Unity Party of Colorado, the Northeast Denver, uh, uh, the Northeast Denver Housing Co Collaborative or Collective, and Frontline Black News, Shabbat's Black Experience Enhanced, and a Revolutionary Agenda. And I reside at the Roach, Bedbug, and Mice Infested Fusion Studios in Chantel Lewis's district of District 8. Um, so, it's 2024. Again, we still have a camping ban. Nobody's talking about repealing that. But in regards to this rezoning, um, I've been in support of ADU since 2019 when I ran for city council at large and got almost 15,000 votes with no money. And I'm still in support of them in 2024. Um, I would like to see in the new year, this council uh, look at the criteria in which that you use to uh, do these rezonings because it's, it's, it's not very um, detailed. It's not very um, transparent. It's, it's kind of like... Um, just uh, rubber stamped uh, year after year. So um, the concern with these ADUs is that they're being used for short-term rentals. Currently in the, um, in the uh, criteria, there's nothing about short-term rentals. There should be something about it. Um, you say that the occupants have to live at the property, but there is a serious concern that they are not living at the property and they are using these as short-term rentals and Airbnbs. So in the coming year, I would hope that you would come up with an added criteria to address that and also an audit, a follow-up on all of these ADUs that you've been approving since about 2020. Um, so with that said, I'm in support of this ADU. You know, any time that we can increase our housing stock in the city, I'm in full support of. And yes, it has to be discussed because um, there was a, somebody had commented on something I said last year at the end of the last meeting about oh, we have to spend this much time discussing uh, housing. Yeah, damn, Skippy. If we got to spend this much time discussing the migrant illegal invasion, we definitely need to discuss housing for just about as much time. And I am given three minutes, and I'm going to take full advantage of the three minutes that I'm affording. So with that said, thank you, and um, I hope for a much better 2024 from this council, from this mayor, and from this city. Thank you. Do we have any questions from council members on Council Bill 1715? <clears throat> the public hearing is closed. Comments by members? Uh, did you have a just comment? A comment. Okay. Yep. Comments by members of council on 1715? Council Member Sawyer? 
Thank you. Um, I know that the, the council member for the district is not in the room right now. Um, I worked on the East Area Plan. Um, there was a lot of conversation about uh, ADUs in that plan. It is something that has been socialized and discussed with um, thousands of community members over a three-year period during the East Area planning process. So um, thank you for coming out today to um, apply for this rezoning. I would encourage my um, fellow council members to support it. Thank you. Thank you, Councilman Sawyer. Councilman Hines. Uh, thank you, Madam President Pro Tem. Uh, I would agree with my colleague. Um, I, we spent uh, three years on the East Central Area Plan, which also talked about ADUs. And I also sat on Blueprint, which is a citywide plan uh, that culminated in 2019 and recommended that we have ADUs throughout the city. So I want to thank CPD for the presentation. I want to thank the applicants uh, for, um, for your willingness to go through this process. I hope that we do have the conversation in 2024 uh, about making this process easier for everyone and so we don't have to go through uh, the brain drain and the time and effort and the financial and, uh, and time investment for the applicant or for CPD um, to, uh, to get to here where we say yes every time, which is the right thing to do. We have a housing crisis and, um, and it is important for us to, uh, to have additional density everywhere throughout the city. That doesn't mean 80 plus buildings, 80 plus story buildings uh, everywhere in the city, but it does mean we, we should do our part. As far as um, ADUs, uh, the reason why it's not considered here is because it's not relevant here, but if you wanna, uh, uh, or uh, short-term rentals, uh, the, it's not relevant here because you can build an ADU, but um, if you choose uh, to have a short-term rental, uh, then that is a different conversation that goes through a different process and has different requirements. So uh, I'm happy that you're here. It, um, we don't consider use type in this particular conversation. Um, those five criteria are what we are designed to, uh, to consider, and this definitely meets the five criteria. Should you consider a short-term rental at some time in the future, that's an entirely different process. So thank you again for your time and your effort. And I look forward to the conversation later this year where uh, we consider ADUs uh, citywide in a far more streamlined process. Thank you, President Pro Tem. Thank you. Madam Secretary, roll call on Council Bill 1715. Cashman. Aye. Alvidras? Aye. Flynn? Aye. Gonzalez Gutierrez? Hines? Aye. Lewis? Parody? Aye. Romero Campbell? Aye. Sawyer? Aye. Madam President Pro Tem. Aye. Eight ayes. Eight ayes. Council Bill 231715 has passed. On Monday, January 29th, 2024, Council will hold the required public hearing on Council Bill 231850, changing the zoning classification for 3051 Lawrence Street in five, <clears throat> five points. Any protests against Council Bill 231850 must be filed with the Council offices no later than noon on Monday, January 20, January 22nd, 2024. There being no further business before this body, this meeting is adjourned.